This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Jewish Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Matthew Miller, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Gorf and Yael Nathan about their new book, Esther, the Graphic Novel, published by Corin in 2023. Esther, the Graphic Novel, contains the complete unabridged Hebrew text of Megillat Esther, the Book of Esther, and is suitable for use on Purim and for year-round study and enjoyment. Recommended for adults and older youth, the creative team of writer-producer Jordan B. Gorfinkel, Gorf, and Israeli illustrator Yael Nathan fully immerses you in the vivid world of Shushan, royal court of ancient Persia. Yael and Gorf, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I wonder if you can begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself. We can start with you, Gorf. Actually, I'm going to turn it over to Yael first. Sure. Sounds good. (laughs) Um, Okay. (laughs) Putting me on the spot. (laughs) Because um, that's how I roll. Yeah. That's, that's how right. I roll my Purim. <laughs> um, I am an illustrator. Um, I, I live and work in Israel. Uh, although most of the work that I do is uh, in English for the international market. I uh, study in animation in Betzalel Art Academy and uh, f- spent about 15 years in high tech uh, doing... Uh, mostly um, user interface stuff. Um, then I did a few uh, a few comics with the writer Ehud Lavsky, which went very viral online. And uh, and I just decided that comics is what I'm going to do from now on. And uh, I've been doing exclusively comics for the past uh, six or seven years. I've worked with the IDW on Star Wars comics and uh, released a few graphic novels of my own with the uh, with writer Hudlovsky and that I wrote myself and now I've worked uh, with Gorf on several little projects and uh, potential projects and Esther is a big one that we finished uh, last year and it was a treat. I guess that's mean it's, that means it's my turn now. Hello everybody I'm Jordan B. Gorf and called Gorf which is frog backwards. Gorf, frog, frog, Gorf, now you won't forget me and my life is summarized as born, bar mitzvah, Batman, Bitachon, and beyond. And if you want to learn more about me, you can go to gorfy.com, G-O-R-F-Y.com. Over to you, Matthew. Beautiful. Nice and short. Love it. So I want to get to the book and speak about the book itself. I think it'd be helpful to put it in a certain context, understand how it came together. There's a lot of different components, different people working on it. I wonder, we'll start with you again, Yael. From a project perspective, how did the different pieces come together? How did the different components come together? There was you, Gorf, there's you, Yael, there's also the translator of the actual book. 
how did these different components come and become this beautiful work? Um, well, the, the project wasn't uh, very different from usual work practices in the comics industry, uh, whereas I got a comic script and I worked together with Gorf uh, uh, with that comic script to, uh, to create layouts and then ink and then color. Uh, and from that perspective, it was similar to different to other projects. But uh, the timeline was very, very short. And uh, what Gorf was sort of uh, writing as I was uh, as I was doing the work, the, the illustrative work. So uh, there was a lot of back and forth and some some changes that were happening as we were finding things out um, and about Shushan and the history. And there, uh, Gorf also um, was consulting experts in the field, and there was some debate about how the palace looked and what things were. So there was a, a bit of back and forth and some adjustments that we had to do uh, in real time uh, while while we were creating it. But other than that, the, the work was, you know, I got a script, I read what was in it, I did the layouts, we discussed them, and uh, continued. I would say that Yael is being extremely modest, which is her way. She was a true partner and collaborator, and we worked as a creative team together to figure out how to bring the city of Shushan and the classic story of Nikivat Aster to life by taking the translation and turning it into dialogue and captions in true graphic novel format and creating dynamic layouts which is really all of Yael's talent. You, you can't direct that. Either a person's got it or they don't got it. Boy, Yael's got it. And putting it together to a package that we think is going to be wonderful for families, people of all ages, to be able to immerse themselves in this uh, tradition, in the story and tradition, so that they, as Yael said, they can feel the history and the legacy come back to life as if it were happening right now. And there's no better print format and digital format than graphic novels, the sequential storytelling format of, of, of graphic novels to be able to do that. And maybe we can dig in a little bit to what Yael was saying before about some of the debates around how to depict the Palace of Shushan. We can focus on that or we can potentially go beyond that and expand. One of the things that the, the book tries to do is, is present the story of the Tanakh, of the Jewish Bible, and then incorporate or have components of potentially Midrash, potentially archaeology, history. There's a lot of different ways that one can depict things. How did you go about, so whether it's with the Shushan depiction itself or other aspects, how did you choose how you would depict a character, a place, a story, and, and, and do it in a way which, which made sense? I'll start with the practical considerations, and then Yael can talk about the creative considerations. The practical considerations are very simple. When In Judaism, we have quite a few armchair scholars, and that's wonderful because we are a bottom-up religion. We're not a top-down religion. We don't have a pope, so to speak. Everybody has the potential to be a scholar, to be a rabbi, as we say in the Passover Haggadah. Uh, to, and I know that well because my prior project was the Passover Haggadah graphic novel. So I'm intimately familiar with that idea, and we welcome that. But it means that we have lots of people looking over our shoulder who are filled with all kinds of knowledge and skill, who are ready 
and armed to throw tomatoes at us if we get it wrong. So I wanted to ensure that we were making choices out of knowledge rather than mistakes out of ignorance. And even on the tight schedule that Yael referred to before, we had incredible scholars from the Koran publishers, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, and also Bar-Ilan University, and Adele Berlin, who created the translation for the JPS edition, the Jewish Publication Society edition of the Megillah, and of course, books and the internet and, and resources, as much as we could imbibe in that period. So we synthesized as much of the background as we could in all these different dis disciplines, Matthew, the ones that you listed, and more. And then that ended up in both the script and in a file for photo reference. And then that got passed over to Yael, who can now talk to us about how she adapted from that. Yeah, so there was a wealth of, uh, of historical knowledge and, and uh, you know, what there is from references from so long ago, which is a, a lot of speculative work. And um, But what I tried to do was uh, sort of combine modern aesthetics and some um, modern ideas and, and, uh, and styles with the existing what we ha what we knew from histor historical reference. Um, let's say um, the, the characters are a, a, a little European comics inspired, maybe a little Disney-ish, because uh, I want them all to be relatable and very unique. I didn't want people to debate which character they're looking at, and uh, and also I, we wanted a wealth of uh, skin colors and skin tones. Uh, the the it was a vast empire, and uh, there were people from all over the place, and we wanted to represent that. And um, um, I think the end result is something which is also visually interesting for a modern audience, and uh, but also hopefully uh, relates to the sources and, and does not do injustice. It definitely it does justice very much. I really think it does. Gorf, I want to pick up a little bit on what you were saying before. The, you mentioned a project they had previously worked on with Corin, namely the Passover Haggadah. How did this project differ, if at all, from the, your work you did on the Haggadah? And what were some lessons that you learned from that project that you brought into this particular one? The projects differ, have similarities and differences. The similarity is that the modus operandi, the operating principle, is still the same, which is we want to take the complete text, the complete book, unabridged. We're not deleting anything. We're not summarizing anything. We're not adding anything. We're not taking away. Because these works have stood the test of time, the, indeed the history of the Jewish people, if not mankind. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing for us to fix or change. Rather, they're wonderful. And what we have to do is bring out that extravagance, that wonder, that amazingness. I'm trying to find the right superlative here for a modern audience. And that's why I was talking about how we wanted to use modern styles in order to do that, in order to achieve that goal. With the Haggadah, you do not have, here's where the differences come in. Oh, and, and let me just finish describing it, I apologize. You have the original Hebrew on one side, and then on the facing page, you have the English translation, or in the case of the Ivrit, the Ivrit edition, you have an a Hebrew translation of the English translation on the facing page. So this is kosher to bring to your, or I should say kosher, to bring to your 
Megillah reading because you're supposed to have a mitzvah. The commandment is to listen to the Megillah, but the tradition is to be able to follow along in the language to which you're accustomed. And of course, the language to which I'm accustomed is the language of sequential storytelling of comics and graphic novels. Those MOs were the same for the Haggadah and for the Esther. The difference is that with the Haggadah, you have a compendium of Jewish knowledge. There is no story. We presume that Passover is the story of the Exodus. That's a part of it, but it's not even much of it. Instead, the Haggadah is like a Wikipedia page, if you will, of all of Jewish knowledge summarized in a nice package and adorned by a sumptuous meal and, of course, rituals. So with that, I had to enforce a narrative to tie all of the disparate strands and time periods together. With this one, it was completely the opposite. You have a very straightforward narrative. There's a beginning, a middle, and about 15 endings. <laughs> and the biggest challenge here was just making the ending and ending and ending and ending from about uh, Perak Zayin to Perak Yud interesting and compelling as the rest, which I think we pulled off. Took some creativity. But by and large, all of what we needed to tell a story was there. We just had to bring it to life in the way that we know how. I wanted to zoom in on something that you mentioned about the Passover Haggadah, and I think in many ways probably apply to the Migila as well. Trying to keep it kosher, keep it kosher, make sure that it's something which is appropriate for a ritual context. How did you, how did you do that? Were there any issues? Were there any things that you thought were, were good to present in the, in the story? Maybe Yael that you had drawn that need to go back to the drawing board because people thought it didn't quite work. It wasn't kosher enough. It didn't fit with, with Koran's Orthodox standards. Were there any examples of that or, or not really? I'll let you, I'll talk about that. Uh, sure. I was just, you know, I was trying to keep things, uh, I keep it in mind that the, the audience is, uh, is everybody. Yeah. Um, meaning that it's, uh, it's, it's kids and it's the Orthodox and, uh, I wanted to show a variety of people, but keep it in a way that, you know, is as modest and as, as appropriate for a, a wide audience as possible. Also, you know, keeping within my style and something that I'm uh, happy with. So I didn't really think that I was making a lot of compromises, uh, keeping the, that style and, and doing the work uh, intended for that audience. Yes. We wanted to make it child-friendly, but not childish. We know that Purim is a holiday that is beloved by children because it's got all of the shtick. You mm -hmm. have the uh, haman and shaking the grager, and you have uh, the food and the candy and the parties. And when you combine that with a book that has pictures in it, the presumption is that this is a kid's book. It is anything but. <laughs> Graphic novels are sophisticated. They're capable of having embedded within them multiple layers of story and meaning. That makes this book wonderful for people to engage with repeatedly. This year, you may be younger, and you're going to read it to get the surface meaning. Next year, or year, in the years to come, you may be a teen, then an adult, and you're going to begin to see all of the depths that we built into it. Some of the perushim, some of the uh, explanations and explications, some of the agadah. We have things from the Gemara, from the Talmud. We have interpretations from later day interpreters or uh, commentators, from later day commentators. 
such as the Malbim, one of my favorites, 18th, 19th century, somewhere around there, and contemporary thinkers. When you combine all this together, you get a product that is really quite remarkable at being for everybody, while also being appropriate for those who may have more strict views on how they want to engage with the material. I'd like to zoom in on that a little bit uh, about the different age groups and, and ages of people who are reading the book. There's things in the book which are of a more mature um, subject matter, such as things which are of a more sexual nature. Towards the end of the book, we can see violence. How are these things captured, considering that, that you're, you're trying to present the book, which is for different age groups? I think we tried to stay away from gore <laughs> and try to make things as uh, implied as possible for everything that uh, um, uh, has to do with, the, with violence, uh, definitely. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, Gorf was very wise with, uh, with directing the, the panels um, to, to be very subtle and, you know, nuanced and sort of imply that the, the sexual context, which we did, he did, uh, when Gorf writes a script, it's, uh, he explains a lot about the actual um, meanings behind the things. And I, I learned a lot. <laughs> I'm, I do, I'm not, I don't come from a Jewish, back, from a, a religious background. So I, uh, I didn't know all of the interpretations. So it was really enlightening to read uh, his, his script and so everything that he he wrote he told me exactly um, what's implied and I sort of tried to you know to draw it in a way that isn't too explicit yes we have a phrase in Hebrew hamevin yavin those who are in the know will know but if you don't know you don't have to know so you're able to understand the story, Pashup Shat, the simple basic meaning, just from what you've got. And if you're looking for more, you can certainly read into it. Right. We've spoken about the, the fact that this book is, is, is from Koran. It's for, it can be used within a Jewish ritual context. But of course, anyone can read this book. It's got an English translation. What, are, what were the thoughts, if any, about presenting this book to a broader audience, to a, an audience which is not necessarily Jewish, can they learn from it? What can they learn from it? What can anyone take out of the book beyond just a Jewish context? That's really a Koran question. Uh, they're the ones who are doing a marvelous job, marvelous job, get the pun there, see what I did there, in, it's a graphic novel, <laughs> in marketing and distributing the book. And I know that their core audience is the Jewish audience. And for thoughts on going further than that, you'd really have to ask them. I, I will say that... Um... That also be, be, because Gorf did, did such a, uh, an amazing work with the with relaying the the meanings. I think, and one of the things that I like to do in my in my comic work is to try and convey as much of the characters' inner world and uh, of the of the action that's going on without text. So hopefully. Uh, when somebody looks at the at the panels, even if he doesn't know the story, even if he doesn't come from a religious background, he can get you know added values, and and the the, the broader sense of the story. So I think you you definitely don't need to be religious to enjoy this. 
You also don't have to be a native English speaker. This past weekend, I had the marvelous experience of being with a group of students who are Panamanian, and they do they speak English, but they consume their reading material primarily in their native language from Latin America. Uh, but English is not their first language. The point being that they were enjoying the book quite a bit because the storytelling by El Natan was so clear that they could follow it even without necessarily reading any of the captions and dialogue. And it, it so happens that we are working on a translation, or actually Corinne is working on a translation into Spanish and other languages. But in the meantime, it's really a tribute to the amazing storytelling, visual storytelling ability of Yael to be able to make it work like a good movie. They say with a good movie, if you turn down the sound and you watch it, you can still follow along. Well, here it was the equivalent. If you turn down the dialogue and caption boxes, you can still follow along. Yael, I'd like to ask you a question about the style you mentioned before that there's some Disney type style therein and other styles that you used. I want to drill in and understand a little bit more there. So were there different styles that you used in order to depict different aspects, different parts of the story, different thought processes within the characters' minds? And, and also were there different styles specifically that you decided to use for different characters in order to express different ideas? Uh, well, again, because we were on a, such a tight deadline, we didn't really explore too many styles for for this uh, book but uh, the style that I worked in is you know kind of my uh, this is the where I feel very at home I my background uh, growing up in Israel is you know I, it's funny it's a it's a mix of European Disney and anime which is uh, which is sort of what I what I feel my art style is is. I uh, I have I have done more realistic work, but uh, also because the story is humorous, there's a lot of humor in in the in Megillah. Uh, so I wanted something that is a little less serious, and um, so so I think these these types of characters they work very well with humor. Um, we I, we did choose to use a different style, more of a cartoonish um, anime chibi sort of style, which is the little little uh, characters with a big head uh, for everything that's uh, imagined, everything that is not in, currently occurring in the real world. We also uh, rendered it a little differently so uh, the audience will understand that we're not actually experiencing it. It's something that's within the head of the character that's speaking or uh, we're looking at. I think you asked a marvelous question over there. Uh, there's that word again. Terrific question. Because indeed, we did try to use at least one alternate art style to depict the inner thoughts of people. There are some times when characters are conjecturing about what's going to happen or what could happen. For example, the famous scene when Esther is being asked to approach the king to beg for salvation for the Jewish people. And she says, well, if I go to the king unannounced, then, and he doesn't point his scepter at me, then it's over. It's, it's, it's curtains for me. Well, instead of just having her describe it, we have the ability to show it and to avoid confusion, to clarify that this is her thinking, her conjecturing, her alternate history, 
we changed to a different art style. And I won't try to describe it to you. Rather, when you pick up the Koren Tanakh graphic novel, Esther, you will see for yourself how we pulled it off. Beautiful. I want to look a little bit at a few characters and their depiction, because I think there's something there's something there to each of these. So one of them is the character of Haman. The Anyone could boo as you're listening to this. The character of Haman is depicted in a specific way. I'm curious to hear your thoughts or to perhaps get inside of your head, if possible. Haman, at least to me, when I'm looking at it, seems to be he has a certain mustache. I want to hear about that thought process and whether or not there's anything behind that. That's one thing. Uh, the second thing I'm curious about is there's a um, very cute lizard who appears here and there. I want to know if there what, what what's behind that as well. And finally, the character of Esther a couple times within the book, she's depicted in a superhero way, both the way that she looks and then within the actual captions, we can see some of those superhero type qualities and, and, and fonts. So there's a few things there, but I want to hear your thoughts on each of those. We can start with either one of you. Okay, I guess I'll start. <laughs> um, yeah, I, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, the directions on specific ish things that you mentioned were uh, Gorf's uh, ideas and directions that he wanted to see. The mustache on Haman uh, was, uh, you know, I I designed Haman initially with a big a beard, which is very fitting for the time. The most men had beards. Um, but uh, he said maybe we should give him a certain type of mustache that'll, you know, uh, convey something. And I think it works great. Um, it, he also, he transforms throughout the book. I mean, he starts as a, as a minister and he, he does have a beard there. And then later when he becomes Haman, he, uh, he makes this visual transformation as well. Um, in terms of Esther, also it's uh, it's all Gorf's uh, great storytelling. You know, he knew what he wanted to convey. He knew uh, he knew the best way to get it, which is you know visual shorthand, superhero, superheroine, because that's what she was. That this is how we're gonna describe her, and it's a uh, you know very, very a great way to you know it's a shorthand to say this is what you're looking at. I think Gorf can explain the lizard. It's also a great little storytelling device. I give you a lot of credit, Other Matthew Miller. By the way, the reason I call him Other Matthew Miller is because the president of Corinne is Matthew Miller. Oh. And when Matthew first contacted me, you can't imagine how confused I was. <laughs> so I reached out to Corinne and said, does he have a clone? <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> and they said, yeah, we get confused also, but he's legit. He's every bit. <laughs> He's every bit uh, a uh, Kasher Matthew Miller as the other Matthew Miller. So we, we love our MMs, our okay. M&Ms. <laughs> anyway, the lizard. Uh, we had, it, there is a convention in storytelling where you need to establish your setting. And the way you do that is by showing, usually showing an exterior so if a scene is taking place in a per certain part of the palace, you will show that portion of the palace from the outside and you'll show it at the right time of day and the right weather and all of that. And from there, you cut to your interior scene and you show the drama or you dramatize the action that happens within that setting. Showing the, uh, the palace exterior over and over and over again was going to be a little bit dull. And moreover, we wanted to show the passage of time because 
it's a very little, not little known, but uh, little spread around fact that this story does not take place in a day, a week, or even a month. Between the time that Esther is anointed queen and the time when she effectively rescues the Jewish people from genocide, years have passed. So I want to at least show some allusion to time passing. So we killed two birds, or rather uh, ate one lizard with one stone. And when you look at the book, you can see how we got creative in this way. Uh, the lizard was a great way to achieve this. And I, I'm trying very hard not to give spoiler alerts. I want you to experience it in the book and have fun with it firsthand. So that was number three. With regard to Haman, as Yael said, he really has three stages. He's first a minister named Mimuchan, according to some interpretations. They say that Mimuchan was Haman. Then he's Haman. And then he's dead. Spoiler alert. And, however, his spirit lives on, his evil spirit lives on, as we can all attest to every time the month of Adar rolls around and we celebrate Purim. I wanted to be able to give people the possibility of seeing the evolution of this minister into Haman if they choose this interpretation or plausible deniability. Therefore, if you want to see the bearded minister as Haman, you can. If you prefer to not see it that way, then you don't have to. But it's there for those who ascribe to the Hamevin Yavin. And as for the certain kind of mustache, when you get to the end of the book and the book begins to reflect on what the true meaning of this of Haman's actions would have been had he succeeded, you'll see why we chose this particular depiction. And the book is meant to be fun and entertaining and lighthearted and playful in all the ways that you would expect from a Megillah Tester. But I really felt that to be responsible to history, we, we needed to bring out the, the inner meaning of what this story is trying to teach us and show us as a cautionary tale. And therefore, that is not only reflected in the plot, but it's also reflected in the character development of Haman. And in terms of Esther being a superhero, like Yael said, she is the OG Wonder Woman. I go around the country giving talks, indeed the world, not just the country. I was in Israel and South Africa this summer, and I'm on book tour right now. And when I give presentations, I literally show how Esther is the OG Wonder Woman. And... The reason why is she's the very template for the superheroes that we know and love. Think about it. She's an orphan. She grows up needing to hide who she really is until comes the moment when she has to decide, do I step up and become the savior of my people or do I pass the buck onto somebody else and face the consequences? This is the very root story of most, if not every superhero, and indeed for every one of us. So it's inspirational both as a larger-than-life graphic novel and also a very down-to-earth cautionary tale, cautionary fairy tale. I really appreciate that. that. That's really interesting. Were there any particular scenes or moments from the Book of Esther that were especially challenging or rewarding to illustrate? None of them for me. I didn't draw anything. Um, th there were a lot. Um, there are a lot of 
special scenes here and you know uh, the story is intricate there are a lot of things that are uh, are happening at once and and the scenes are pretty complex you gotta you gotta portray a lot of inner thoughts and uh, a lot of actions I think in particular I like uh, I liked the The scene where Esther is contemplating what will happen uh, if she doesn't act and uh, we were going back and forth uh, with that layout of that page because it, it's a, it's a pivotal scene and uh, you got to portray her sort of inner conflict of uh, what will happen what would she do uh, the she's you know lost in thought and you uh, the the layout there what we chose is um, you know it's not a conventional comic book layout it's something that's uh, more reminiscent of uh, um, like some European grades or uh, something that's you know not just a grid and uh, I think that was the most fun for me because it allowed me to be creative but not just for you know the sake of being creative just for it actually serves the story. And I think uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, I also really liked, which is bizarre, I really liked the, the scene where um, Achashverosh is in the bathtub at the end of the book, which, is, which was just fun to draw. It's such an uh, awkward scene. It, it's a lot of fun. I love that scene also. I love everything you draw, Yael. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's really beautiful work. We touched a little bit on this before, but I want to see if there's any more color that either you want to add. This is part of the Koran Tanakh series. It's one of the many works that they've done on the Jewish Bible. And each one, in some ways, looks at the Bible in different ways. I want, I want to know, from your perspective, how can this, how is this book used as an interpretive tool? How can one use this graphic novel to better understand the text? Maybe, Gore, if we can start with you. The question is, how can we understand, how can we use the graphic novel in order to understand the text better? Exactly. So using it as an interpretive, exegetical work. Pretty much what I said before, I think that this graphic novel will work extraordinarily well for people of all ages and backgrounds, because for people who are less knowledgeable, they have less of a background, whether because they're younger or they didn't have that kind of access to Jewish education that... Some of us were fortunate to have they're going to get the plain meaning out of it, and as you d- dig deeper and you review it over and over and over again, you're going to begin to see that there are a great deal of insights and depths and and different disciplines that have been built into the drawings, and you can experience it rather than didactically digesting it because the words and pictures are fused together. This is the difference between a picture book and a graphic novel. A picture book is one that has words and pictures side by side, where the pictures adorn the words. Here, the words and pictures are together. It is a completely organic reading experience. And therefore, you're able to digest quite a bit more, as much as you want or as uh, little as you want. I'm not sure if that answers the question, but that's kind of where it's at. Yeah, very much so. Uh, also, I'll say that uh, as somebody who didn't know all the interpretations, I knew the Megillah, of course, but uh, I didn't know anything beyond it. I think the, uh, the visuals convey so much of the, the Parashanuyot, all, the, all the, you know, the things behind and the, the different 
uh, aspects that people have debated for years. And, you know, Wolf has brought a lot of his knowledge uh, into this. And, and I learned a lot. So, you know, I think somebody who looks at the images might even subconsciously, you know, get some information out of this that he wouldn't any other way because it's not in the text. That's really well put. Thank you. Before we wrap up, are there any other things that you want to speak about? So, yeah, I can start with you here. Anything that I missed out, other aspects you want to highlight so we can make sure the audience has the best picture they can of the book? I would say there are a lot of Easter eggs, a lot. Just uh, explore. Every panel here is, you know, has had a lot of thought go into it. And there are, you know, a lot of little things you can you can see and read and hopefully also enjoy, you know, find it funny, find it touching, just uh, explore. Couldn't agree more. And your question before, or rather, your introduction to this was that this is part of the Koren series on Tanakh, and indeed, this is intended to be the first in a line of graphic novels that is going to survey all of the books of the Bible. We're just beginning that process right now, so stay tuned, T-O-O-N-E-D. Beautiful, I love that. So I've taken up a lot of your time. I'd like to ask the closing New Books Network question. What are you working on next? Gore, if we can start with you. I've got a lot of Bible catching up to do. <laughs> there, there's a lot of study that I'm going to have to do in order to be able to do the Koren Tanakh graphic novel series. Yo? Uh I'm working on my own graphic novel and a new book with the writer Hudlovsky, which is about the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but with a humor, a humorous twist, which is, you know, something that you don't see a lot. <laughs> well, then the Megillah was good practice. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Put you in the right orientation to be able to do something constructive. I look forward to, uh, to reading that as a fan. And the other thing that I'm up to is I'm on book tour right now. So I'm going to a number of different cities serving as a scholar in residence. On Shabbat, I give uh, Shomer Shabbat or Sabbath uh, practice-oriented talks and presentations and discussions. And then when uh, it's not Shabbat, I have multimedia presentations in which I use pop culture in order to illuminate the the essence of all of these uh, of all of these books and holidays and traditions, and uh, I'll be I just came back from Georgia and I'll be in uh, all kinds of places around the country over the next few weeks and looking forward to meeting people and interacting with them and as much as they learn from me, I learn even more from them. And if you want to learn more about the book tour and the various different offerings, including the Jewish cartoon workshop that gets everybody without any drawing skill necessary into drawing Jewish cartoons. And then we collect the best of them into a comic book to hand out to everybody afterwards. You can go to jewishcartoon.com and follow at Jewish cartoon. And of course, visit all of the socials at Koren pub so that you can see all the great books that are coming out, the graphic novels, not to mention all of the amazing source material that we used. So let the graphic novel be the beginning 
of your Jewish journey and then delve into the unbelievable, very deep, rich library that Karen has to offer on Jewish topics. Beautiful. All right. I look forward to reading it all and to interviewing you more as the new books come out. So this is great. I got a lot of work to do myself. Thank Thank you. And next time, let's do uh, let's do like the Prince and the Pauper, where we swap you and the other Matthew Miller so you can publish for a day and he can interview us. Sounds (laughs) good. All right. Challenge accepted. We've been talking to El Nathan and Jordan Gorfinkel, Gorf, author of Esther, the graphic novel published by Corin in 2023. Happy reading, my friends.